Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. This episode is sponsored by italki. And if you're looking for native English speakers to talk to, if you're looking for English lessons uh, through Skype uh, from the comfort of your own home, if improving your English and uh, working on your spoken fluency is one of your New Year's resolutions, then look no further because you can use italki to do all of those things. Um, so check out teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. And uh, and when you buy some lessons or some speaking time with italki, they will send you that voucher worth 100 italki credits. It's not bad at all. It could really help. It could really help your English. So think about it. Okay, then here is uh, the rest of this episode about British festivals and holidays and things. And here is the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everybody. Here is part two of this episode that um, I'm doing today. And this one is all about British holidays and festivals. And in part one, I talked to you about uh, bank holidays and explained the days on which those bank holidays happen. Uh, we also did a bit of pronunciation work for the months of the year and also uh, saying all of the dates, you know, saying different days and months and uh, how you actually say the dates properly. For example, the 21st of December, stuff like that. Uh, and then I started talking about all of the sort of big days or special celebrations that we have throughout the year. And I'm going through the year of 2017, talking about when these things actually will happen, and then explaining sort of what goes on on those days, what they mean to me, and what most uh, people do uh, at those times of year. Okay, right. So what we had in the last one is um, uh, the months uh, January, February, March, April, May. No, January, February, March, and April. That's it. And um, so it's time now to continue, and I'm talking about May here. Okay, May. May is my favourite month of the year because we get two bank holidays in, in the UK, and also because it's my birthday in May, isn't it? And it's always nice to have your birthday when the sun is out, and often the weather is pretty good in the UK in May. It's just when it's like the, the end of the spring and the beginning of the summer, and often the weather is pretty good, and you're leaving winter behind properly, and it's like the first uh, um, first time you get proper sunshine in the year. It's really good. It feels really good and refreshing. So May, two bank holidays. We've got the first of uh, the first Monday in May, uh, and the last hunt Monday in May. And in 2017, that will be the first of May and the 29th of May. They're both bank holidays. Um, there are two Mondays in May when people have the day off work or school. And if we're lucky, we get to spend some time outdoors enjoying the spring sunshine. 
The first bank holiday in May is known as the May Day holiday, and it's vaguely associated with workers' rights, like in the case of Labor Day, although this is, this is not expressly stated as the purpose of the day. As I said earlier, officially all bank holidays were set up originally to give workers some time off. Um, the second bank holiday in May is known as the Spring Bank Holiday or the Late May Bank Holiday, and this one is associated with the beginning of summer. And it always lands on the last Monday of May, and often there's good weather. Typically what happens on this day is that people are surprised by the good weather, which then leads to a feeling of optimism about the coming summer. So often you get like a good May, especially that last uh, weekend of May, and it's like, oh, this is brilliant, and you get surprised by the sunshine, and you end up in the garden or in the park or something, and then people start imagining what the summer's going to be like, and they say things like, oh, summer's going to be great, let's have barbecues. And then they wait, and you know, and then June arrives, and they wait for summer to arrive properly, and you know, there's a bit of grey weather, and they're like, well, it's okay, it's only the beginning of summer, I'm sure that we'll get some nice weather eventually, and they wait and wait, and then June is finished, and it's like, okay, well, maybe July will be the hot month, and then July continues, and it rains a lot, and there's floods on the news, and it's like, how can we have this much rain in July, and then August comes along, and people go, well, we've still got a month left, we've still got a month of of, uh, of summer left, but somehow it stays cloudy, and it still rains sometimes, and they wait, and they wait, and it rains, and they wait, and it rains, and they wait all the way until the end of September before realising that, oh, that's it, summer's over. And that one week of sunshine that we had at the end of May, that, that was all we were going to get, that's it. And suddenly, by the end of September, the sun... Um, the sun often then comes back. You know, the sun is like Columbo. The sun's like, oh, oh, wait, there's just one, one more thing. The sun comes back uh, at the end of September sometimes, and then we have what's known as an Indian summer, which is a kind of a summer that arrives late. That's a typical summer in, in the UK. It's not always like that. Sometimes we get glorious weeks of sunshine, but often it's just unpredictable. That's the thing. And the May bank holiday, when you get good weather, tends to raise the expectations for the rest of summer, which then just sort of gets slightly disappointed uh, throughout the, the, the rest of the, the, uh, the summer period. Yes. Um, usually at the end of May, we have the FA Cup final. And that's England's most traditional football cup. And it's pretty special because the FA, in the FA Cup, all of the teams in all of the leagues, including the Premiership, the Championship and all the other divisions, all of those teams get to play each other. So they all play each other. They're all involved in the competition. And then eventually the final happens at Wembley Stadium in May. And it's quite interesting, the FA Cup, because sometimes you get these like smaller teams that you know, make their way all the way through to the final or the semi-finals. So it's really a case of like anything can happen, any team can win. Usually you find that the bigger teams win, like, you know, the Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, Man City um, and uh, Liverpool. You know, it's usually the big teams that win it. But the FA Cup final is usually a great uh, footballing occasion. It's like the one of the last events of the season. And often the weather is good and it's just, a you know, it's a great match to watch usually. Um, also throughout May, you can check out the Brighton Fringe Festival, which is a comedy and arts festival that happens in Brighton, which is on the south coast of England. And uh, this is a great time to visit Brighton, which is just one hour from London. And it's on the south coast of England, so you can enjoy the seaside, even though the beach is made of stones and not sand. 
It's a stony beach, uh, little pebbles, a pebble beach, but still, it's quite a good, fun place to go and hang out. And all the attractions of an English seaside resort are there, including, you know, there's a pier, like a wooden pier that goes out into the uh, into the uh, the sea, you know, and you can walk out onto the pier, and they have games there and and attractions and things. And um, the town itself is charming and there's lots of nice stuff to do. Um, and uh, in May, you will see the, the Brighton Fringe Festival and uh, you will see comedy shows and other attractions. And most of it's free. And in fact, I did a couple of podcasts from the Brighton Fringe Festival a few years ago when I was performing comedy there with my mates Paul, Alex and Moz. And you can check out those episodes um uh, in the archive, the Brighton Fringe Festival episodes. Um, also in May, there is this bizarre event, which um, it's like one of those weird, strange, crazy English um, festivals. And this is the Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling event. Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling. So um, it's actually the Cooper's Hill Cheese Rolling and Wake. A wake is basically a big party. But the main thing, and you might have seen this, it's kind of quite famous in some parts of the world. Um, You might have seen it on TV or read about it or something. The Cooper's Hill cheese rolling is basically like this ridiculous race, which happens down a really, really steep hill. It's like basically when in the English countryside, uh, a group of young men and women too, basically chase a, a big piece of cheese. So they, they throw a, this big wheel of cheese down a really steep hill and then all these people chase after it. So it's an annual event held on the Springbank holiday at Cooper's Hill near Gloucester in England. And it's traditionally done by and for the people who live in the local village of Brockworth. Uh, but now people from all over the world take part. The Guardian newspaper called it a world-famous event, and indeed in 2013, a 27-year-old American man and a 39-year-old Japanese man each won one of the four races. The event itself takes its name from the hill on which it occurs. This hill is really seriously steep. Imagine a really steep hill covered in grass, the kind of hill that if you tried to run down it, you would definitely fall over. In fact, you'd not only fall over, you'd tumble over and over and possibly break some some parts of your body in the process. Um, it's a very traditional event um, and it's usually done without any management. It's just like done by the people of the local village who kind of get together in a haphazard way and they do it. And you get a big group of people uh, ready at the top of the hill and someone then takes this big wheel of cheese like a big round piece of Gloucester cheese and they roll the cheese down the hill and then everyone chases after it and it's just insane because running down the hill in a large group of people uh, is really dangerous because everyone starts falling over and they're tumbling down head over feet you know head over heels tumbling down the hill and every year someone gets um, someone gets injured Um, in fact uh, let's see the cheese is currently used as a is seven to nine pound double Gloucester cheese, which is a hard cheese traditionally made in a wheel shape, um, and um, so the cheese is actually protected uh, by a wooden casing around the side, and it's decorated with ribbons at the start of the race. Um, injuries, so due to the steepness and the uneven surface of the uh, of the 
the green fields, the slope that they run down, there are usually a number of injuries. Um, a first aid service is provided by the local St. John's Ambulance um, Division. And at the bottom of the hill, they have these ambulance workers who are ready basically to just collect all of the, uh, all of the injured people who end up at the bottom. Uh, there's a volunteer rescue group on hand to carry people down the hill, um, uh, you know, just in case they don't make it to the bottom through gravity. And a number of ambulance vehicles uh, attend the event since there is invariably at least one and often several injuries requiring hospital treatment. Um, Cooper's Hill cheese rolling has been summarised as 20 young men chasing a cheese off a cliff and tumbling 200 yards to the bottom, where they are then scraped up by paramedics and packed off to hospital. Um, But it looks like a lot of fun. You can see a video of it on the website. Um, So June, June the 13th, uh, the 13th of June, is the Queen's official birthday. Uh, Although the, the Queen actually has two birthdays. She's got her real birthday and the official birthday. That's right, because she's the Queen, you know, she gets two. Um, Although the Queen's real birthday is on the 21st of April, it has been a tradition since 1748 to celebrate the King or Queen's birthday in June. Um, Now, I I know for a fact that the the reason for that is that basically... um, For the the monarch's birthday, um, there's always a, a procession, like a military parade which is called the Trooping of the Colours. That's where, you know, like um, soldiers and various other sort of uh, uh, people in uniform parade uh, outside Buckingham Palace and the Queen is there in a in a golden chariot and it's all this, you know, a lot of pageantry and stuff like that and it's like a big moment of patriotism in which, the, the, the in this case, the Queen parades with a, a load of other people. Um, and it's a big special event. Now, um, they the, they want to make sure that happens on a day in which there's sunshine. Because if they did it at another time of the year, then, you know, likely, the likelihood is that it would be washed out. So you can imagine some sort of meeting of, like, you know, uh, high-ranking people at Buckingham Palace going, well, we've decided that uh, it might be a good idea to have the uh, the Queen's official birthday happen, uh, you know, as 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 uh, the tradition goes, on the 13th of June. Uh, because, frankly, if we did it in April, then, you know, it's probably going to rain, isn't it? So let's do it in June. <coughs> so there's a military parade known as the Trooping of the Colour held in London, and it's attended by the royal family, <coughs> I think, the, as I said, the reason the monarch's official birthday is marked in June is simply because there's a better chance of good weather for the military parade. It's as simple as that. Um, so the 19th of June is Father's Day. And Father's Day is a day to show appreciation to fathers, grandfathers, stepfathers and fathers-in-law. Many people in the UK give their father a card or gift. They have a meal together or they go out for drinks. Uh, we don't do it in my family. We don't have Father's Day. And it's not because we don't care about the old man. Obviously, we do. But we just don't do Father's Day. I think it's because it's kind of a fairly new thing. And probably my mum probably and my dad too probably consider it to be a bit of a commercialised event. Sort of uh, like a fake day 
just to sell more gift cards because we like to give cards in the UK for special occasions like birthdays, Christmas, Mother's Day, Father's Day. We give each other cards. There's a big industry for greeting cards. Uh, So I think a lot of people don't celebrate Father's Day because they feel like it's just made up by marketing companies as a way of selling cards. Uh, Or maybe there's some feminist idea that men already have plenty of days and blah, 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 you know, all that stuff. Uh, 21st of June is the summer solstice, otherwise known as Midsummer's Eve, and that's the longest night of the year. And uh, lots of stuff happens around the ancient monument of Stonehenge in Wiltshire. Stonehenge. Some of you have been there. Some of you have heard legends about Stonehenge. Some of you have seen pictures of it. It's basically, it's basically like a ring of standing stones in the countryside in the southwest of England. Uh, not far from where they have the Glastonbury Music Festival. And Stonehenge is like this kind of mysterious, possibly mystical place that's been there for like 5,000 years. It's really old. Um, 5,000-year-old thing. And there are these huge stones standing in a circle. Most of them have fallen over now. Some of them are still standing up. Uh, But, you know, considering they've been there for thousands and thousands of years, it's still in fairly good condition. I expect that when it was in its you know proper original form, it must have been really impressive, and uh, I imagine that in the past you know people would have approached it by walking through the countryside and they would see it in the distance. I'm sure it was an incredible thing to see. These days, it's a bit mysterious because we still don't really know what it is or what it's for. This ring of stones, and also we don't really understand how it was built. Uh, apparently some of the stones or most of the stones used uh, for the construction were transported from Wales, like hundreds of miles away. So we don't really know how the massive stones were transported. Um, some of the stones are actually placed on top of each other. So there are these huge uh, stone blocks placed on top of other stones. And we don't really understand how they got the stones up there. So it's all a bit of a mystery. We also don't understand what the purpose of it is. Some people think it's some kind of clock that used, you know, to read the night sky and the, 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 the position of stars. Other people thought it was like some sort of temple where there would be uh, pagan religious ceremonies and maybe like, you know, ritual sacrifices and things like that. Other people think it was built by UFOs and aliens and things. Um, there's all sorts of theories. It's pretty interesting. Uh, and on the 21st of June, uh, there is usually something happening at Stonehenge because this is when the Stonehenge monument has its true moment in the sun uh, as people celebrate the longest day and the shortest night of the year. Um, and, um, you know, there's usually some sort of ceremony or something happening. Lots of people go and visit Stonehenge uh, on that evening. And if you stand inside the monument facing uh, the northeast direction towards a stone outside the circle called the heel stone, you'll see the sun rise like a blazing fire in the distance. And it's a sight that brings in pagans and sun lovers of all beliefs. It's the, the, the ring of stones is set up in a way that on that particular date, when the sun comes up, it shines light across the countryside uh, in a line between a number of different stones and the light shines all the way through a gap in two particular stones, shining a beam of light right into the centre of the, the, the circle. 
and people kind of think what happened what used to happen on midsummer's eve uh in the past when that beam of light arrived in the center of the circle what would happen maybe there was some kind of sacrificial ceremony or something like that i don't know it's 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 like uh the stuff of myth and legend um but it's a pretty special place to to be on uh on the 21st of june um everywhere else in the country we just enjoy a really long evening with long shadows and light until about 11 p.m or 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 even later summers in the uk are fantastic for long days and despite what i said earlier about you know failed barbecues we do have some wonderful weather sometimes and i have good memories of these never-ending summers with days that just seem to go on forever um and you know as a kid that would involve like playing in the garden until very late or when i was older probably sitting in a pub garden all evening with my friends on the 21st and that's that is a particular pleasure to be able to sit outside with some light until quite later quite late it's not like being in the arctic circle where the sun never goes down but um you know it's pretty cool to be outside at about half past 10 and it's still quite light um so then um from wednesday the 21st of june to sunday the 25th of june 2017 uh there's the glastonbury music festival or just the glastonbury festival now glastonbury is the biggest music festival in europe and it's now one of the most important music festivals in the world every year about 200,000 people travel to a farm in glastonbury in the somerset countryside not far from stonehenge in the southwest of england and it used to be a hippie music festival a bit like woodstock um these days it's a place to check out music and to see all sorts of other types of performance art and uh, all the biggest bands of the moment perform at glastonbury and it tends to be headlined by the biggest names in music these days it's kind of like one of the big musical events for the industry and recently we've had groups like the rolling stones coldplay bruce springsteen neil young uh, even Beyonce and Kanye West headlining the event, and um, Glastonbury is not normally associated with uh, like sort of uh, rap artists or R and B artists like Beyonce or Kanye West. It's generally associated with the sort of rock or folk musicians. Um, so having Beyonce and Kanye West there was a little bit controversial, but it just goes to show the sort of size of that event and how important it is in the music industry these days. Um, the BBC usually cover Glastonbury throughout the festival and you can just watch, you know, f- rolling Glastonbury coverage uh, during that weekend on TV. Uh, and that's always nice to, instead of actually going to the festival and travelling and getting covered in mud and having to camp and, you know, all that sort of thing, um, you can just sit at home and watch it on TV. Um, in 2017, uh, we don't know all the headline acts, but one of them will be Radiohead. So they're guaranteed, they're confirmed for the Friday night. But we don't know who's going to headline on Saturday night yet at Glastonbury uh, 2017. It might be Guns N' Roses. There are rumours that Guns N' Roses are going to perform. It could be Rihanna. It could be the Stone Roses. It could be the Foo Fighters. It could be Ed Sheeran. Um, the list of speculations uh, goes on. Um, now, I've never actually been to, to Glastonbury, or Glasto, as it's sometimes called, but I, al- I almost always watch it on TV, and I have to say that 
to be honest, these days, often it's a bit of a disappointing experience to watch on TV, probably due to the poor sound quality that you get through recording a live concert and putting it on TV. It doesn't really do justice to the 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 probably the the sound of the music uh, as it's performed live. Watching it on TV for me, it just sort of lacks the power and punch that you'd get from seeing the music being performed uh, live. And it just sounds like you can't really hear the drums properly. And it all sounds weak and a bit clinical sounding. So really, I shouldn't really complain. I should just go to Glastonbury and see it properly. uh, Because I think there's nothing like seeing music live. And I think to really enjoy Glastonbury, you need to be there. Soaking up the atmosphere, probably up to your knees in muck and mud. Um, But part of me suspects that it's not quite what it used to be back in the old days when... Uh, there were fewer people and it was a lot more of a real musical experience rather than some sort of commercialised thing that it is now. I did do a, a podcast uh, a few years ago about music festivals um, when I talked about a recent music festival that I'd been to. So I do like going to music festivals um, and uh, it's fun to go out and camp and stay in a tent Uh, at music festivals you could say it's quite intense there's an old joke that you haven't heard for a while um so anyway listen to my old episode about uh, music festivals um from 2009 you can find it in the archive there's a link for it on the page for this episode and it's called summer music festivals Uh, okay um there's also a link to an article uh, about all of the biggest music festivals in the UK, and you can you can read about them there. Twenty uh, sixth of June uh, in two thousand and seventeen will be Eid, uh, which is a, a Muslim festival. It's like the biggest sort of festival uh, in for the uh, Muslim community. And Eid marks the end of the month long fast of Ramadan, and it's widely celebrated by Muslim communities in the UK. Each community usually organises its own events. But there are some large celebrations and feasts in city centres, such as in London and Birmingham. I've actually never been part of an Eid celebration, but I remember when I worked in London that a lot of my students uh, from different countries fasted during Ramadan. And then they kind of disappeared completely during the Eid celebrations, usually. Um, Now, I wonder what it's like to go without food during the daylight hours, which is what happens during Ramadan if you're a Muslim as far as I understand. It must be pretty hard. Um, I know that fasting is an important part of uh, Islam. It's one of the five pillars of Islam, and it's all about abstaining from earthly and material pleasures and focusing on prayer and a sort of spiritual detox. Um, I don't really know what it's like other than, you know, secondhand, obviously, because, you know, I have met Lots of Muslims who've talked to me about Eid and Ramadan and and all that stuff. Um, But uh, what's it like for you? Um, I know that I must have uh, many people who who, uh, celebrate Eid listening to this podcast. So, you know, I'd like to know what it's like. Um, It must be a big celebration when Ramadan's over and you can, you know, actually eat during the day again. It must be a lot of fun, I imagine. So that takes us on to July. Um, and Monday the 3rd of July until Sunday the 16th of July uh, is the Wimbledon Tennis Championships in 2017. Obviously, Wimbledon happens every year in July. And Wimbledon is the world's oldest tennis tournament. And it's a summer highlight for sports fans. Held at the All England Club in London, in South London, in Wimbledon, 
Um, in uh, since 1877, uh, Wimbledon is known for the tennis players' white dress code and the tradition for spectators to eat strawberries and cream while watching the matches. For me, this is usually something that you watch in the evenings while eating summer food, like a melon or something. For some reason, I always imagine eating melon while watching Wimbledon on the TV. It's also another opportunity to be disappointed by British sportsmen. Although, to be fair, more recently, it's been a bit better because of Andy Murray. Because Andy Murray is is now, I understand, to be the number one tennis player in the world at this moment in time. And uh, Andy Murray won Wimbledon in 2013, and he won it this year in 2016. So well done, Andy. Because for many, many years, uh, the Brits um, were kind of in the wilderness regarding tennis. We had, you know, lots of um, disappointments and um, and so on. We had Tim Henman, who was, um, before Andy Murray, was probably our, our uh, biggest uh, player. But he never won Wimbledon which was disappointing for us. But now we've got Andy Murray. I say we've got Andy Murray. Really, he's kind of a proud Scottish person. So all the English people aren't able to kind of get behind him in the same way that they would be able to get behind someone else because they know that he's doing it for Scotland. But I don't mind. I think it's fine. Anyway, well done, Andy, for winning Wimbledon. I think it's really great. Um, Also, during the summer, because obviously Andy Murray listens to this podcast, right? Hello, Andy. I I know you're taking time off from your... Um, grueling training schedule in order to listen to this podcast. Uh, well done for winning Wimbledon again and for doing it for Scotland or Britain or whatever, whatever piece of earth you, you choose to represent. Um, also during the summer, we have cricket test matches going on. And you heard me talk to my dad about cricket recently. And I do plan to do a cricket episode on this podcast at some point. Um, and a test match uh is, um, yeah, there are lots of test match cricket matches going on in the summer. Usually you get, like, probably about uh, a whole test series would include five test matches. Um, actually, I'm not going to go on in t- about the rules of cricket and stuff here because I'm going to leave that until later. But summer often is about having cricket on the TV. And there's always some game going on because the games last often for about five days in total. Um and that means that's kind of cool because the cricket begins in the morning and it finishes in the evening. And so you can just go about your day doing your thing, going to work or whatever. And every now and then you can check out the score of the cricket. You can kind of dip into the cricket, switch the radio on or just check the scores online. And it's a way of kind of like following the progress of the game throughout the day. And then in the evening you get home and you might watch the highlights of the cricket on the TV or just listen to the, the cricket on the radio which is actually a really relaxing and pleasant thing to do. Listen to cricket being played on the radio. You might think that sounds a bit boring, but um, if you understand the rules of the, the game, it really sort of, it really helps you enjoy it. And it is a very pleasant uh, experience. All right, uh, August. Uh, there's the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, or the end of, in fact, it's called the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Uh, which in 2017 is going to take place between the 4th and the 26th of August. Um, And this is the largest arts festival in the world, Um, apparently, according to the British Council. It's the largest arts festival in the world. And the Fringe features over 40,000 performances and more than 2,500 shows at 250 venues. Any type of performance uh, can can occur. Um, including 
theatre, comedy, music and dance. And many students visit Edinburgh to put on their own shows. Uh, for me, personally, the Edinburgh Festival is the big stand-up comedy festival of the year. And it's, you know, along with maybe the Montreal Comedy Festival and Montreuil in uh, Switzerland, it's one of the big comedy festivals. There's also Melbourne, the Melbourne Comedy Festival as well. But it's one of the big festivals for comedy in the world. I've never actually done Edinburgh, but apparently it's it's both brilliant and really hard work because you've got to, you know, promote and uh, stand outside promoting your show and desperately try and get people in. And it's exhausting because every night you're performing and you're struggling and you're working hard and you're not eating properly and you, you don't get enough sleep at night. Uh, you might remember on this podcast, Paul Taylor talking to me about his experience of going to Edinburgh in 2015. And it was really tough um, for him. And he had a bit of a nightmare because he struggled, as many comedians do when they go to Edinburgh for the first time. And I remember him coming back from Edinburgh and talking about it in in very despondent terms and talking about how difficult it was and how gutted he was by the whole experience. And I think it was uh, a tough, a bit of a wake-up call for, for him as someone who'd given up his job to do comedy. And uh, I think that he learnt a lot from doing that. Apparently he has, because now he's going from strength to strength in terms of his comedy. So anyway, um, you can find that episode as well. I think it's called Paul Taylor's Edinburgh Report, and that's in the archive too. Um, also in August, there is the Notting Hill Carnival, which happens on the August bank holiday weekend. Uh, that's the last weekend of August. The Notting Hill Carnival is held in West London over a bank holiday weekend. Um, and it's Europe's biggest street festival. Around one million people go to see uh, the colourful floats and dancers in flamboyant costumes. They, you can hear music, different types of music, uh, from salsa to reggae, and taste Caribbean food from street stalls. Um, it's really cool, but very crowded and very noisy. Um, and um, you probably know that I did a video podcast about the Notting Hill Carnival a few years ago. And you can see that video on my website on the page for this episode. Um, so, yeah, loud, really loud reggae music and massive uh, Caribbean barbecues and people dancing in the street and lots of craziness and fun. Uh, and it's really good. It's really good fun, but very crowded. Um, OK, so that brings us to September. And from the 18th to the 20th of September 2017, there is London Fashion Week, which is where you will see lots of trendy, young, fashionable people and old fashionable people, uh, to be honest, uh, walking around the streets of London. Uh, London Fashion Week sets the global fashion agenda alongside the other big shows that happen in Paris, Milan and New York. These fashion shows during Fashion Week are mainly for industry insiders. But you can get tickets to the uh, London Fashion Weekend for a taste of the fashion show experience. And that would be, you know, seeing the catwalk models doing their thing 
and presentations of the new designs and things like that. Uh, there are two fashion weeks each year. The first London Fashion Week is in February. In fact, the third weekend of February. Uh, and then the, the one in September as well. Students get involved too with events including student and graduate showcases and networking opportunities. London is a, a big centre for fashion and there are various different fashion colleges uh, where you know people from all over the world come to study fashion. So Fashion Week is a big deal in London, uh, probably the biggest one being the uh, London Fashion Weekend um, in September there. Um, then uh, October. Uh, so October is when sort of uh, uh, autumn uh, arrives and the leaves start to change colour and uh, they go all golden and brown and red and orange and yellow and stuff like that. Um, the 31st of October is, of course, Halloween. Uh, the modern way of celebrating Halloween is based on the Christian feast of All Hallows' Eve and the Celtic festival of Samhain. And this is when children... Um, dress up in different uh, costumes and they go trick-or-treating which involves knocking on neighbours' doors in order, to, in order to ask for sweets they carve out pumpkins uh, and make lanterns out of pumpkins um, older students usually go to parties and Halloween events at pubs or clubs or student unions and the important thing is to dress up as gruesomely as you dare so there's lots of kind of horrible horror-related uh, outfits and uh, fancy dress costumes. Um, then in November, we have, um, on the 5th of November, there is Bonfire Night, which is also known as Guy Fawkes Night. And that's probably a bigger and more traditional event in, uh, in the UK than Halloween. Halloween is viewed by some people as being a, a sort of a commercialised American thing. And you see the shops are full of Halloween-related stuff, uh, you know, like, you know, disguises and costumes and pumpkins and spiders and stuff like that. Plastic crap that people, you know, buy and then throw away, disposable stuff. Um, but the 5th of November is probably a bigger um, occasion for the UK specifically because this is Bonfire Night or Guy Fawkes Night. And this historically marks the anniversary of Guy Fawkes' plot to blow up the House of Lords and assassinate King James I in 1605. Uh, the, the, the plan was a failure because Guy Fawkes and uh, the other members of the gang were caught just before they managed to uh, actually uh, blow up the Houses of Parliament. Uh, and the failed gunpowder plot is remembered in the children's rhyme, Remember, Remember the 5th of November, Gunpowder, Treason and Plot. Uh, today it's commercialised with uh, spectacular displays of fireworks. So if you're in the UK on the 5th of November, you will see lots of fireworks going off. It's not for Halloween, it's actually for Guy Fawkes Night. You will also see bonfires and things like that in parks and public areas. Um, all throughout November, there's this thing called Movember, which I think is done in different countries too. But uh, you find certainly younger people uh, do Movember. And if you're in the UK and you see more people with moustaches than usual, then you're not imagining it because throughout November, the charity campaign of Movember, like moustache and November combined to create Movember, it's a charity campaign. Uh, it's a charity campaign which invites men to grow a moustache and raise awareness of men's health issues. 
Uh, it's a bit, to be honest, it's a bit annoying. I don't really know why it's annoying, but it is a little bit. So you see guys growing a moustache and they're doing it just to, well, it's a, it's for a good purpose, right? It's for a good cause. They're doing it for like men's health charities. I think it's for testicular cancer, prostate cancer. Anyway, it's to raise awareness of uh, men's health issues and men uh, grow a moustache throughout the month. Um, yeah, I'm just growing. Uh, are you growing a moustache? Yeah, it's for Movember. You know, I don't know why it's annoying, but it it is, even though it's for a good cause. I shouldn't, I shouldn't really find it annoying. I don't know why I do. Do people do Movember in your country? Do they? Do, I, I don't know. Maybe they do. Uh, also, uh, what else? Um, uh, 11th of November uh, is Remembrance Day. And each year in the UK, the 11th of November is a memorial day uh, to honour uh, those people who lost their lives in battle, especially during World War I. Um, and also many peace campaigners also support the event. Um, but basically, Remembrance Day is a day to remember the people who lost their lives in battle. Uh, the Royal British Legion charity sells paper poppy flowers to raise funds for veterans and their families. So if you've been to the UK in November, you might have noticed people wearing these little red flowers on their shirts or the lapel of their jackets or coats. It's a poppy. And um, the poppy uh, is the symbol of Remembrance Day. And it's customary not only to wear the poppy, uh, but also to observe a two-minute silence at 11am on the on the 11th of November. So it's the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Um, and uh, there's a two-minute silence in order to sort of pay respect to people who lost their lives during during the uh, during World War One and, in fact, any other uh, battle. Um, around this time, it's common to see people wearing the poppies. In TV studios, they have boxes of poppies on hand so that nobody appears on TV without a poppy on. Because if you appear on TV without a poppy, apparently that's a very bad idea because it makes you look a bit disrespectful and it's a bit of a scandal if you don't appear on TV with a poppy. Um, all right, so some people view the poppy to be a political statement, somehow justifying acts of war or being a sort of um, uh, sort of condoning... Uh, uh, the armed forces in some way. So there is a bit of controversy around the poppy, but generally speaking, you know, it's a widespread uh, uh, custom to uh, remember, uh, you know, the people who lost their lives and to wear poppies. And, you know, you you see people in the street um, selling the poppies and they ask for a donation to the charity and then uh, you get a poppy which you wear on your on your shirt or your coat or something. Um then also uh, Thursday, the 19th of, um, oh, this is in October. This, oops, I got this date wrong. It's actually in October. So if we go back to October, there's um, uh, the Festival of Light, uh, which is known as Diwali. And that's, this is a, known as the Festival of Lights for Hindu, Sikh and Jain communities. And um, cities including Leicester, which hosts one of the biggest Diwali celebrations outside of India, and London and Nottingham have extravagant street parties with traditional food, music, crafts and dancing. And of course, displays of lights, lanterns, candles and fireworks. So Diwali is kind of a big deal for the um, 
the Hindu, Sikh and Jain communities. And we do have, you know, large communities uh, from particularly from India and Pakistan, because, um, um, you know, England had colonies in those parts of the world for many years. And then sort of in the post-war period, uh, people were invited from those uh, colonies to come and settle uh, and to migrate to England. And so we have large Indian and uh, Pakistani communities um, in uh, in the UK. And so Diwali is kind of a, a big celebration for those communities. Um, all right. So December as well. Uh, that takes us on to December, the end of the year. Throughout December, there are loads of winter markets and festive visitor attractions across the UK. Uh, and um, you can find the details of those things in advertised in local magazines like, for example, Time Out. Time Out is probably the, the best uh, magazine or website that you can use to find out about you know things like Christmas markets or other events that are going on. Um, and um, some of the uh, well-known markets would be Winter Wonderland in London's Hyde Park, which is like this huge Christmas market with a fun fair and various other things. Um, so Winter Wonderland, in addition to a traditional Christmas market, this huge site features things like carnival rides, two circuses, an ice skating rink, fake snow, and an exhibition of ice sculptures, and enough hot chocolate and mulled wine to keep you warm. Uh, now, you might be thinking, what's mulled wine? What is mulled wine? Mulled wine is basically, a, it's, it's like a... It's made from heated red wine with spices and bits of fruit in it. Uh, and it's lovely. And it's the sort of thing that you drink at Christmas or at sort of winter festivals. Um, and um, if you're interested, uh, which of course you are, here is um, a recipe for making mulled wine. And this is actually Jamie Oliver's recipe for mulled wine. And he says this, Come the festive season, there's nothing better than a spiced warming glass of this mulled wine. And apparently, uh, according to Jamie Oliver's recipe, and Jamie Oliver, of course, is a well-known celebrity chef from England, and to make mulled wine, according to Jamie Oliver, you need two clementines. Clementines are like those little, little, they're like little oranges, really tasty. Two clementines, one lemon, one lime, 200 grams of caster sugar, which is like sugar, very fine sugar, fine granules. 200 grams of caster sugar, six whole cloves. Cloves are uh, the dry... What are cloves? Oh, how, do you, how on earth do I define what cloves are? Uh, cloves are aromatic flower buds from a tree uh, which comes from uh, Indonesia. So they're like flower buds dried and they're aromatic and uh, they go really well in a hot glass of mulled wine um, so you need six whole cloves aromatic that means that they they have a strong aroma a bit like eucalyptus or something so six whole cloves one cinnamon stick three fresh bay leaves one whole nutmeg for grating one vanilla pod and two star anise and two bottles of Chianti or another Italian red wine. And here's how you do it. So, first of all, you peel large sections of peel from the clementines. The peel is the skin that goes around the, the clementines. Uh, you peel large sections of peel from the clementines, lemon and lime, using a speed peeler. 
uh, a speed peeler is probably a device that allows you to peel the fruit really quickly. You then put the sugar in a large saucepan over a medium heat, add the pieces of peel and squeeze in the clementine juice. Then you add the cloves, cinnamon stick, bay leaves and about 10 to 20 gratings of nutmeg. Half the vanilla pod lengthways and add it to the pan and then stir in just enough red wine to cover the sugar. Wow, that's a lot of sugar. Then uh, you let this simmer, meaning you let it boil slowly until all the sugar has completely dissolved into the red wine. And then you bring it to the boil. That means you heat it up so that it boils more vigorously. You keep on, you keep it on a rolling boil. So that's like, you know, big bubbles, lots of boiling. Keep it on a rolling boil for about four to five minutes or until you've got a beautiful thick syrup. The reason I'm doing this, says Jamie, uh, the reason I'm doing this first is to create a wonderful... Shall I do a Jamie Oliver impression? I should. The reason I'm doing this, right? No, that's, that's not a Jamie Oliver impression. The reason I'm doing this is to, celebrate, is to create a wonderful flavour base by really getting the sugar and spices to infuse and blend well with the wine. It's the worst Jamie Oliver impression ever. I'll go back to my normal voice. It's important to make a syrup base first because it needs to be quite hot. And if you do this with both bottles of wine in there, you'll burn off the alcohol. Don't burn off the alcohol! When your syrup is ready, turn the heat down to low and add your star anise and the rest of the wine. Gently, gently heat the wine after around five minutes. When it's warm and delicious, ladle it into heat-proof glasses and serve. Yum, yum, yum. Sounds good. You can find the recipe for Jamie Oliver's mulled wine on the page for this episode. Um, so, Winter Wonderland, a place where you can go and be all festive and drink mulled wine. There's other ones, like, for example, there's a, a thing called Hogwarts in the Snow. And this is a wintry version of the Harry Potter tour at the Warner Brothers Studios in uh, Leaves, Leavesden, near London. And there at the Hogwarts in the Snow, you can watch snow fall over the original model of Hogwarts Castle and see the Great Hall set for Christmas dinner and live out all of your Harry Potter fantasies uh, in reality. Um, there's Birmingham's Frankfurt Christmas Market, and that's the largest German market outside Germany and Austria, complete with Glühwein. Glühwein? I'm sure I've said that wrong. That's like the German mulled wine. Glühwein. Wursts, or sausages, pretzels, and sweet treats. You can also shop for unique gifts from local artists at the craft fair. There's the winter festival at the Eden Project in Cornwall, which is an amazing place in Cornwall. Um, and usually the Eden Project is an educational ecology park with these big glass domes where they have different plants and trees growing. But in December, the Eden Project is tran transformed with Christmas trees, a choir, real reindeer and an ice rink with ice skating classes for all ages. So it becomes like a real winter wonderland. Um, there's Belfast's Christmas Market. If you're studying in Northern Ireland, for example, then you can go and visit the mu multicultural market outside Belfast's City Hall for festive food and drink from around the world crafts, gifts and Christmas decorations. Um, also in December you'll see that in theatres all over the country there are pantomimes and uh, you might have heard Amber mentioning pantomimes in a recent episode. So a panto or a pantomime 
is a traditional Christmas theatre performance, and it's a mix of it's a mix of slapstick comedy and musical theatre with silly costumes and audience participation. Pantomimes are usually for children, but it's worth seeing one for a uniquely British experience. So pantomimes are often a lot of fun, and they happen around the Christmas period, and you often see sort of. Uh, low-level celebrities taking part in them. Like I think, you know, uh, recently there was David Hasselhoff was in one of the Christmas pantomimes or something, that kind of thing, you know. Um, Then uh, between the 24th of December and the 1st of January, it's Hanukkah, which is the Jewish uh, celebration. And uh, during Hanukkah, Jewish communities across the UK will be celebrating Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, from December the 6th, uh, what? From December the 6th to the 14th in 2005, okay. But 24th to the 1st of January in uh, 2017. In London, the menorah in Trafalgar Square is the largest in Europe. It's usually lit by the Mayor of London on the first day of Hanukkah at an event with free donuts and live music. Did someone just say free donuts? Where do I sign up? If there's free donuts, I'm in. Uh, 25th, obviously, is Christmas Day. Most people in the UK celebrate Christmas, even if they're not religious. And there will be Christmas trees, presents, carol singing, mulled wine, mince pies, and if it snows, snowmen and snowball fights. The traditional Christmas dinner is a whole roast turkey with roast potatoes, vegetables, gravy and Christmas pudding for dessert which you heard all about in uh, the recent episode that I did with Amber. Mm. Uh, Okay, then the 26th is Boxing Day. That's the day after Christmas. And you also heard us talking all about that too. Uh, There are no particular Boxing Day customs. Most people just spend the day with their families, going for a walk, watching sports, or eating the Christmas leftovers. There's football on Boxing Day as well. I didn't mention that before. There's always a big football game on Boxing Day. Uh, and it's just a chance to carry on the, the Christmas festivities, basically. Um, now, there are other festivals in the year. That's it, basically. I've done it. I've been through the whole year. There are some other festivals that might be worth noting. For example, May the 4th is unofficially Star Wars Day, just because of the date. Because when you say it, it sounds like May the Force be with you, doesn't it? May the Force be with you. May the 4th be with you. Uh, so May the 4th or the 4th of May. It doesn't work if you do it in the, in the British English way. The four, May the 4th of May. 4th of May be with you. What, you mean May the 4th be with you? Yes. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. Yes. It just sounds like you've got a lisp. May the 4th be with you. What, what are you talking about? Nothing. I th- are you a Star Wars fan? No, I can't stand, I can't stand Star Wars. It's just the way that I speak. Okay. Um, So May the 4th is unofficially Star Wars Day. Um, I think some Star Wars fans get together and there might be some special screenings and probably a bit of cosplay and things like that. But as far as I can see, it's just a chance for most people to post something on Facebook wishing everyone a happy Star Wars Day. That's usually what happens. Um, uh, There's also some other stuff. In fact, the, the, the original listener who who challenged me to do this episode, uh, wanted me to mention um, another thing, which is called Sea Odyssey Giant Spectacular, 
which is a kind of street theatre event that happens sometimes in Liverpool, and it looks fantastic. I've never, I've never seen it myself, but Sea Odyssey, Giant Spectacular, is something that you might witness if you live in Liverpool. So there are many arts festivals as well, where you can sample literature, theatre, arts and craft, dance and poetry. Um, and there's a link here on the page which, which you can click if you want to find out more about arts festivals and literary festivals and things. Um, okay, um, so that's basically it. I did it. I did it. I got through uh, the whole year telling you about all the festivals and holidays and things like that. Uh, now, I imagine that most of you are not in the UK and you're probably going, this is all very good. This is very nice information, Luke. Uh, it sounds like, uh, you, you know, people are going to be busy in 2017, but not me because I'm in my country and I'm not going to be coming to the UK. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day you may come to the UK and you might understand a little bit more about what the hell is going on when you do arrive. Uh, and anyway, it's always good, isn't it? It's good to learn more about the culture of the uh, country in which the language um, exists, you know, because as I've said before, uh, language and culture are sort of inextricably linked and it helps. I think it helps generally to learn about the culture. I think it helps you to just get uh, a, a better grip on uh, all of the meta things. Do you know what I mean? All of the other peripheral things that exist around the language. And in any case, you've just spent probably about two hours, if you listen to both episodes, listening to me talking about all this stuff in fairly descriptive terms in English. Um, so I am pretty sure that your English is better than it was before you listened to all of this. Um, I certainly hope it's not worse. How could that be possible? There's no chance that it could be worse somehow, is there? No, of course not. So um, anyway, I'm sure it's all been very good for your, for your English. And you've loved it, haven't you? I hope so. Anyway, uh, that's the end of this episode. Here's some music. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope that you've been having a really nice Christmas or New Year. There's always a chance, of course, that you're listening to this when it's not Christmas. You might be listening to this at a completely uh, unfestive time of year. It might be the middle of June. You might be in, the, in a tropical rainforest somewhere with some like basic internet connection listening to this about a million miles away from uh, from christmas and s snowmen and things like that in fact there's always a chance that you've never even seen snow because i know in some parts of the world it just never snows right i did actually meet a guy a student once who was from burkina faso which is um, an african nation and he'd never seen snow in his life and I remember um, once arriving at the school, and I was all like, miserable. Oh, bloody snow. Oh, my train was late. Oh, I haven't managed to prepare my lesson. And he was like standing outside the school going, what is this magic coming down from the sky? You know, he's like dancing around with this amazing expression on his face. Like, what is this incredible white stuff? It's like, oh, okay. You, you really like it, don't you? For me, it's just an annoyance. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening to Luke's English Podcast, and there will be more episodes coming up in the future. Um, I don't know what they will be about, but I probably will be talking to members of my family during the holiday. So there might be some silly nonsense coming up, you know, like games or whatever. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. You are a wonderful, wonderful person, 
Uh, and uh, good things are bound to come in your direction sooner or later if you carry on in this way. All right, then. Good. Speak to you soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.